assignment that I wanted or the assignment that I thought I needed. And, and each of these little crises, there was a choice. So would I make my request of God and rest in him, or would I not? So I'd make my request of God, I'd try to rest in him, then my thoughts would churn, and I'd come up with a plan. Here's what I should say, and here's who I should say it to, and here's who I should influence, and here's how I should get the assignment that I think I deserve or want or need. So it was always a question of God's control or my control. Could I trust him? Could I trust him to keep his promises? What if I didn't want the outcome that was God's plan? I wish I could say that I always trusted and vacillated, and trusted and rested, but I vacillated. I would rest in him, trust him. And then my thoughts would churn. I'd come up with a plan. And I'd rest in him and trust in him. And then I would, my thoughts would churn. And, and, um, and it always came down moment by moment. Would I trust him or would I take control? Would I trust him or would I take control? You probably have times like this too, maybe. Um, like when the family income is threatened or there are issues concerning school for the kids or you have to do something about where you're living or you're making decisions for aging parents. So many things that invade our lives and we have to decide. Will I trust him? Can I trust him? Will I trust him? Will I take control myself? Here in Isaiah chapter 7, Ahaz has a decision on a very critical scale. The fate of the nation trusts on, rests on him. Who will he trust? Will he trust himself? Will he trust God? Will he take control? So just to get a glimpse of his situation, if you look at map 1, Map 1 will show you little Judah among all the small kingdoms and city-states around it. This, all of this region is threatened by the expansion of Assyria. And if you flip the page over and look at Map 2, you can see there between the Tigris and the Euphrates, that entire region, Assyria is expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding, and now... Assyria is moving westward and threatening all those little countries that you have on the other side of the map. This tremendous expansion, this growing strength of Assyria, is what has Ahaz scared. It has the neighbors to his north, Syria and Israel, scared. And Israel and Syria are planning to take action that makes Ahaz even more fearful. They have joined in an alliance, and they they see a need for more strength. I mean, look at Assyria. They need more strength. So they are trying to force Judah to join them. In fact, if Judah doesn't join them, their plan is to invade and install Tabeel the son of Tabeel, as a puppet king so that Judah will be part of this consortium to defend against the encroaching Assyrians. So so this is the situation that Ahaz finds himself in. And what's at stake here from Ahaz's point of view, the king of Judah? What's at stake is his Davidic kingship. He has the covenant promise that was made to David that that God promised 
that there would be a king to sit on the throne forever. Each king would be God's son, but ruling as God rules in righteousness and justice, reflecting the rule of God here in Jerusalem over Judah. That was the king that Ahaz was to be. To do that, he needed to trust God. And part of that covenant promise was if the king strays, then he'll be disciplined by men, by bringing events into the king's life of men to bring that straightening out. So the question here at this moment, in the face of this historical situation, Ahaz has to decide, who will he trust? Can he trust God to keep his promises? Can he trust God to to work it in God's own way? Will he trust God or will he trust himself? Will he trust God to work it out God's way and God's time or will he take control? When our section opens, Ahaz is shaking like a leaf. He's terrified and God sends Isaiah to him. Now, Isaiah comes to him, and it is important that Isaiah's name means God is salvation. Ahaz spoke Hebrew. Isaiah's name was clear Hebrew. When he saw Isaiah, he didn't say Isaiah. He said, here comes God is salvation. And he brought his son, who to Ahaz was walking up as in Hebrew, a remainder returns, a remnant returns. So here come God is salvation, and a remnant returns. Here's hope walking up to Ahaz. He's terrified, but here is hope, hope right in front of him. And Isaiah has a message to him. Don't fear. Don't fear. What seems so big, these countries to the north of you that are got threatening to invade and remove you from the Davidic throne. They're just smoldering brands. They're ready to be stamped out. It's the remnants of a fire. Here's certainty. Damascus to your north, the capital of Syria, and its king will be wiped out. The northern kingdom of Israel, who called here by its largest tribe, Ephraim. That, That kingdom and Samaria and its king, its capital Samaria's king, gone That threat is nothing. It's certain. If you do not stand, if you you are not firm in your faith, you will not stand firm. You will not be firm. If you don't believe, if you are not certain, if you do not trust, you won't be established, Ahaz. So Ahaz... Ask for a sign, no matter how high... God, in his grace, offers Ahaz certainty that God can be trusted. Ask for a sign. I'll give you all the encouragement, all the reason to trust me. What grace is offered to Ahaz here? It's decision time. Ahaz has to decide. If he asks for a sign and receives a sign... He's going to have to trust God. He's going to have to trust God to do this in his own way, in his own time. The control would not be Ahaz's. All those plans that are in his mind, he can't 
act on those. He has to trust God if he asks for this sign. So he makes his choice. He piously declines. He offers a pious line. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. I got to say, sometimes I'm like this. I want to hide what's really inside by putting something pious out there. Um, Sometimes we all might do that. We want to say something that's right and good to cover the panic that's inside. So, um, So my loved one's sick and I'm terrified, but I don't want to look like I don't have it all together. So I say to you, it's a uh, yeah. It's it's all right. Yeah, all things work together for good to, to those that love God. It's it's okay. But I'm panicking. Someone might be having terrible trouble with teens at home, and you're so worried for their future, and might say, "Yeah, I got the situation, but God is good. I'm trusting Him." But covering up the the deep dismay and fear. Fear is controlling Ahaz's decision. He is like us. He is like that. He says, I'll cover this up. You shall not test the Lord your God. But it turns out that he's citing a very real command out of Deuteronomy, but completely out of context. The context in Deuteronomy points us right back to the situation in Exodus where the people want God to take care of them correctly. They need his provision. Absolutely right. But they're demanding it in their own way, in their own time. And they are so demanding that they're threatening to stone Moses, who is leading them. And God says, in that passage in Exodus, you shall not test the Lord your God. You need to trust him to do it his way in his time. So Ahaz picks that very verse and uses it as a throwaway line. Oh, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign. I won't test the Lord my God. But it's the very context of it that, is, that shows his heart because he really wants to do this his way, in his time, under his control. He doesn't want to trust God. And his declining is actually the very evidence of his decision. He's not going to trust God. And history tells us instead he made an alliance with Assyria and trusted that he could control the situation I'll do that. I'll make that alliance. And Assyria comes rolling in in history and and runs right over his kingdom. And it's just by a, by the, the, like being saved from a flood from the neck up that Judah makes it through. <clears throat> this, this is a critical turning point. <clears throat> from this point on in the passage we're studying today, it's no longer about Ahaz. It's about what God is going to do now and in the future, because Ahaz's decision has consequences. So God still provides a sign. In his grace, he offers the sign of a young woman to have a son. That word used for young woman or virgin is Alma, 
It's Hebrew, and it means a young woman of marriageable age. And the connotation in that culture of a young woman of marriageable age was that she would be a virgin. So that's not that those thoughts are all together in, in that word for the young woman. So young woman is to have a son. This terminology, this is inspired, this is God's word. In God's great plan, Isaiah is inspired to use this specific word for the woman that's going to have a son so that it can be used years later in Matthew with that tremendously deepened meaning that a virgin will bear a son. This son here is a, is a foreshadowing. It's a hint of what's going to happen when the real fulfillment of all our deepest longings and everything we need really happens. But right here at this point, the young woman's going to have a son. She'll call him God with us. She spoke Hebrew. She's going to call him God with us. <clears throat> and before he distinguishes good from evil, Israel and Syrian lands will be deserted. Assyria, the very empire you dread. See, we've changed. History is, is, is affected by our decisions. The very nation you dread will invade. But that's going to happen. And I'm going to give you the son, this child sign. God is with us. God is with us. <clears throat> For the young woman and all who knew about the sign from Isaiah's message, this child's re- presence is a reminder that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, God is with his people. You see the child. You you are reminded God is with his people. We find in Matthew that this child foreshadows the great Emmanuel to come, the one who actually will be incarnate, God in the flesh, with his people. He will walk among us, and he will deliver us. He will save his people from their sin. And at the same time, his coming guarantees final justice. There will be an end to all that is evil. This is the great antidote to our fear, the great antidote to Ahab's fear. God is with us. So who is this child? Some of the uh, most common approaches to, uh, to, um, to, to figuring out who this child is, because um, Isaiah doesn't name him in these verses in chapter 7, name who, what parents he's born to. Um, there, there's an approach that says, well, this is strictly speaking about Jesus because this is what Matthew picks up and says, uh, that um, a child will be born, a virgin will bear a son and call his name God with us. So, so that, that is absolutely the passage picked up by Matthew. But in our context, we find that this child is um, in front of the people of Ahaz's time. He distinguishes good from evil. Assyria and and no, Syria, not Assyria. Syria and Israel will be deserted, and Assyria will come when this child is young. So, um, so who, so who is this child? Some speculate perhaps he's a child in the household of Ahaz, um, a son born to him. But when we read this passage and we read the passage at the beginning of chapter eight, we find something that happens commonly in in the scriptures, in in the literature as written in that time. We find that this child is written about 
and the beginning of chapter 8, the child that's born to Isaiah, is written about in very, very similar terms, almost repeating each other. It's very, very common for, the, for you'll find this over and over again in Isaiah. Something will be covered. And here it is, repeated again, but it's a little bit different. There's a little bit different aspect, a little bit different you learn. Here's a topic here. New Heavens and New Earth, for example. It's in there six different times, but every time you hear about it, you learn a little bit more. There's a little bit different aspect. So, so here we, we find that this is um, the, the birth of the Emmanuel sign child and the birth of the son of Isaiah um, are tied together in this manner, which leads many to, to, to see this as the same child. And it probably is. So the mother, father of this, this, before the child says mother, father, Damascus and Samaria will be invaded. And, and the son has the name the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. Disaster is upon us, and it's coming fast. So, um, so wait, I thought this child's name was Emmanuel. So it is not uncommon in the Old Testament in those times for someone to go by two names. And we, a couple of examples that come immediately to mind. Gideon was named Jerubael, um, two names, same guy. Solomon is also called Jedidiah. Um, you can find that in Judges and in Samuel. I've got the exact quote if you want it. But, but this, uh, this, this child, this name, these names are to remind all of the people what's happening, what's, what's imminent, what's, what's going on. God is providing them signs. And in, in uh, Isaiah 8.18, um, Isaiah makes the point, I, my name, and my children their names, whom the Lord has given me, are signs. We are signs and portents. What's just about to happen in Israel? We're signs and portents from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. So what were their names reminding? They're signs for deliverance. They're signs for justice. justice. The Isaiah sign, God is salvation. Every time you see Isaiah, every time you mention his name, you're saying, God is salvation. You're seeing God is salvation. And the children, a remnant returns. There's hope. The spoil speeds. The prey hastens. There's bad things about to happen. But God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. So these names remind the people. God saves. God delivers. There's hope. There's hope. He's with us. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. In chapter 8, as, as, the, as Assyria comes, darkness and gloom descend on this people. But chapter 9 brings us the glorious hope. Chapter 9 tells us a time is coming, a time of light. And in fact, those first invaded by the Assyrians, those in the region of Galilee, they're the first ones. They're going to see the light. This is where Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, will come. He'll come to Galilee. He'll do miracles in Galilee. He'll teach. He will be the light in Galilee. God is with us. So, so... um, When we look further into this passage in Isaiah chapter 9 to see what kind, what kind of a light. The light isn't left with his first coming. 
we've got this glorious, absolutely wondrous picture of the one who is to come that encompasses everything he is. Who is this child? Well, this is what he is. A child, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And who is he? His name is called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who is this child? He's the wondrously wise one as he governs. He's the omnipotent and the supreme one. He's the source of eternity. He's the one who confers eternity. He is the one who brings completeness and wholeness, everything, every aspect of peace and everything peace brings. He's the one that brings that to the world. He's everything Ahaz needed. He's the one that could be trusted as a, as a loving friend. He's the one who could be trusted as God himself. He's the one who could be trusted as the loving, caring protecting and providing parent. He's the one who is sovereign over all. This is the one who's coming. This is the child. This is the one who will sit on the throne of David with all righteousness and all justice for all of us, God incarnate among us. So God was with us. He walked among us. He brought deliverance from sin through his death. He rose. He ascended into heaven. But he's God, fully God, fully man. And he is with us. Because he's given us so many promises. Matthew 28. Behold, I am with you. I am with you, even till the end of the age. God is with us. You know the spirit of truth he taught. Jesus taught. You know the spirit of truth. He dwells with you. He will be in you. God is with us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Do you not realize this about yourselves? Christ is in you. Realize that. 1 John 4, little children, you're from God, and you've overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God is with us. And there's more. He will return. Now, that's righteousness and justice. We're told in Revelation, John says, I heard the voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they'll be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is forever and ever and ever. God with his people. God is with us. He will come. He comes to bring final and complete deliverance from the curse of sin. He brings final justice, banishing all evil forever. He returns for those who by his grace answer his call. His call, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. The rest we have for our souls now is wonderful and amazing, but the rest we will have will be 
full, complete, the rest of complete peace, complete prosperity in every way, complete well-being. He comes to make everything right and whole and just. We will have this because he is with us. He will be with us, and we will be with him forever. So our God is with us. We ask ourselves when things are hard, when income is threatened, when we worry about schools, the future of our children, where we'll live, what, when, when we worry about the things that are the circumstances around us, who will we trust? Will I take control? Will I trust God who is with me? Will I trust his promises? Will I trust his way and his timing? Will I take control? So the question we ask is who will we trust? We, we need to trust the one who is with us. So, done early. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for this encouraging word that you put in front of us, <clears throat> that you are Emmanuel. You are the one who is with us and in us and who will be with us for all eternity as we rejoice and delight in you. And we ask that you would help us to rejoice and delight in you more and more as we live and enjoy you even now. In Jesus' name, amen.